Welcome back to Make Money Count. I'm producer Matt. And this week, I've got Marcus in studio. We're going to be diving into the 60,000 jobs added to the Canadian market and what that means for inflation ahead. We're also going to be talking about what CPI and PPI means, and we're going to be counting down Bob Farrell's 10 things to remember in a market. If it's your first time here, hit that subscribe button. And if you're a regular watcher, or even if it's your first time here, let us know what you want us to cover in future shows down in the comments below. Do us a favor and hit that like button because it goes a long way. We're going to be diving right into it. Here we go. Stay tuned. Hey, Marcus, how are you? I'm glad to have you here in studio today. Uh, we've got some recent news coming out that uh, the jobs forecast has tripled. Um, it's gone. 60,000 jobs have been added. I want to ask you, like, what does that mean for inflation overall? What does that mean? I mean, usually when we're going in a, a, a recession, one of the things that spikes is unemployment, and that doesn't seem to be happening. Can you explain what's going on here? Matt, we're getting right into it today, huh? We are. Okay, so I would say there's probably four important data points from the Bank of Canada report. Number one headline, kind of um, attention-grabbing headline that's available out of the report is that we tripled the number of new jobs that we expected. So we were expecting to see 20,000 new jobs uh, created. We saw 60,000 new people working. Um, and that is bad for the central bank's attempts to uh, slow inflation down. I think generally speaking, um, the central bank, uh, the Bank of Canada, is going to not be too happy about the inflation numbers with respect to their attempts to curtail inflation um, because of that, that number one factor, right? Like the labor market still does appear to have life in it. Um, and adding 60,000 jobs when we were anticipating 20 is going to increase the probability of a rate hike happening at the next Bank of Canada meeting. Some good news for the inflation fighters in the report. Number one, the number of people looking for work increased. So um, because of immigration, because of people entering the workforce, more Canadians are now in the labor pool looking for work. And that's something that the Bank of Canada has really, really wanted. Um, the other piece that's, that's important to look at is that the inflation within wage growth, so how much wages are increasing, is decelerating. And that came in less than what was anticipated. I mean, there's numbers behind all of this. I think that like inflationary wage growth was at 4.1. It was anticipated at 5.1. The overarching uh, employment number, uh, or sorry, the overarching number of people who are now unemployed. So the number of people looking for work increased from 5.2 to 5.4. And then obviously the attention grabbing headline is 60,000 people got jobs as opposed to 20,000. And the other kind of anecdotal point in there is a lot of the jobs, more jobs than anticipated were full-time jobs. So all in all, I mean, it's good news for the Canadian economy, for the Canadian labor market. It's really bad news for interest rates and for the Bank of Canada and their attempts to slow down inflation. So uh, all in all, like July 12th is the next Bank of Canada meeting. Barring some change, what we've seen is economists have gone from uh, predicting it. So it, Bloomberg does this index, Matt, of all economists. 
and they assign a probability to a rate hike. And so each kind of event that happens in between the Bank of Canada meetings impacts that rate hike. Sure. Before this announcement today, we were at a 50% probability and now we're at a 65% probability for that rate hike. Now things are going to change in between now and July the 12th, but um this just days away now, right? Yeah. Well, this was kind of things are going to change though, Matt. There's a couple of days left. <laughs> uh, things are going to change, but this was a net negative for those of us who were hoping that, you know, we were going to stop seeing rate hikes. And I still don't think that we should rate hike. I still don't think we should hike. I'm with you on that. I don't think that we should hike right now either. I mean, like we've talked about it before in, for, uh, in uh, earlier episodes that we don't feel the effects in, for at least a year later. Um, so it, it, it'll be neat to see if uh, what they do next week. Uh, let me ask you before we move forward. Um, I want to understand the difference between CPI and PPI uh, and, and how does that affect interest rates? And what does that indicate that interest rates may come down? Okay, so CPI is the consumer price index, and PPI is the producer price index. So think of it as just two separate people. There are consumers and there are producers. Consumers buy things from producers. Producers buy raw materials to push into their products to sell them to consumers. Think of it like this, right? Like uh, producers are almost the leading indicator for the CPI. And inside of that producer price index, you've got things like service-oriented expenses. You've got things like um, uh, transportation expenses. Um, and then you've got the costs of the raw materials that go into producing those products. And then the CPI is a basket of goods that consumers need. And um, then within CPI, there's like core and headline. And then there's within those two um, readings, there are um, the difference is how heavily fuel and transport impacts those two differences. But like just for now, let's look at the difference between CPI and PPI. PPI is by far more of a predictive indicator for inflation, whereas CPI is kind of like, this stuff already fed right through the economy and now consumers are gobbling it up. And uh, what we're seeing is that the producer price index is actually falling much faster. And if you toy with those numbers a little bit, like if you strip out things like, um, like, well, first of all, within that producer price index, like there are some things that really heavily impact it. And the reason why we're seeing the producer price index fall the number one cost that's changing is transportation costs. So transportation costs were like up 20%, 25% year over year last year, and now they're down year over year. These are the leading indicators that tell us that inflation maybe isn't running as hot as the central banks are conveying to us. So, so when you say per, like transportation costs, we're talking about producers of goods, transporting their stuff into the, and like that stuff is obviously controlled by like price of gas vehicles and like the driver's wages. So if like, and those people are, are consumers. 
So I can see how like this all relates and why that would be like a leading indicator. But how long does it usually take to trickle down? Like, what is that indicative of, for me as a consumer? Well, I mean, think things are going to get cheaper for you as a consumer. So like, so, I mean, conspiracy theories will say that, you know, this is just a big price grab for like, obviously it gets to a point where like the consumer can't afford it and people will lower their prices. I mean, that's just, that's the, not a conspiracy theory. That's capitalism. <laughs> Supply and demand economics. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Like that's not, but I mean, it, 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 there, there's, there's still going to be some people that like want to run that stuff hot and run it heavy. I mean, like you, there's two grocery stores beside us and you, there's a clear difference between the amount of people in the fresh coat and the amount of people in the Metro, the Metro has got way higher prices and there's nobody in there. The fresh go is the fresh go prices and it's packed all the time. The, 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 the amount that, it's, they call that greedflation, right? Like yeah, exactly. These companies that took this as an opportunity to jack up their prices, to increase their profits, to make their shareholders happy. Um, I think that the longer you go into this cycle, the less sustainable that becomes. And then you start seeing these prices fall off. I think that companies are going to try to grab profits wherever they can. I think that if we're going to look at who wins from a hot employment number, it's probably those companies that are kind of in that greedflation space. Never mind. Like, I don't know why this doesn't get reported on, but like Loblaws got kind of whacked on the hands for price fixing for bread and for increasing the price of staple goods that everybody needed. And then the CRA just came out and said, we're just going to give everybody money for groceries. Did you see that? Yeah. Yeah. Like how incredible would that be? Can you imagine? If like you were the number one vendor of something, widgets, and it was found that you were overpricing widgets by 15% because you were just, and you were claiming it was because of some extraneous factor that was outside of your control, but really you were just trying to make more money. And then they did a, like uh, they did an investigation and the investigation found that it's correct. You were actually wrong. You were actually screwing everybody. You were just profiteering. And the governing body who did the investigation said, well, as a result of our findings, we, the government, are just going to give everybody money. Like, shouldn't it be the company that gives everybody the money? Yes. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. That it's to me, it blows my mind that like that's. But that's not a conspiracy theory. No, I know, I know. That's I just know. like the news. It's just that's just news. Anyways, um, we were talking about CPI versus PPI. I think right. Yes, and and so, it, like we we're talking about greedflation, and like it, 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 when, if that affects like you know. The PPI, if it's coming down, how long until it hits the CPI? Like that, that's the, my question is, and I mean, I, I don't have a crystal ball, but I guess everybody will be wondering. And then as that consumer price goes down, when will it affect like interest rates in my house price, like my, my mortgage payment? So within CPI, a big component is rent and rental rates are coming down. Um, they went up really quickly because interest rates went up really quickly and debt servicing costs went up really quickly and supply and demand economics, fewer people were buying and more people started renting. The demand for rent shot up. 
therefore rent prices shot up. But there, I mean, the United States is seeing this for sure. There's a whole bunch of new multi-unit stuff coming online. Canada is seeing a decrease in uh, rental rates. And as the um, rental expenses drop, so does that CPI number. But each of these, like CPI and PPI, each have their own components within them. And it's, it's kind of reliant upon those components to make an impact in the, in the index. So in the case of PPI, a huge part of the component is transportation costs and those have gotten whacked and that is going to transfer over. You know, how long does it take? That's a good question. Okay. So how long does it take? Do you remember that at the start of COVID, we did a show and we were talking about how transportation costs had increased and there was a story. I mean, it'd be amazing if you could find this clip. I think you do a good job of finding them generally, but there was a story in the media and it was that because of the pandemic, more people were at home and more people were ordering goods to their houses. So more people got free stimulus checks, more people went online shopping because they were stuck in their houses and more people bought stuff and more stuff had to come from China. So the price of a container going from the East to the West skyrocketed. And then containers going everywhere skyrocketed. Well, remember the Suez Canal got blocked for a while too, right? At like 47 days or so. Sure, sure. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's put, put that in there as a reason why. <laughs> and I said, we did a show and I said, I would be really interested to see how the profit numbers for the major publicly traded shipping companies are going to be affected in the next quarter from these massive increases in transportation costs. And sure enough, the numbers came in and they were like incredible, like massive year over year, quarter over quarter increases. All of the big shipping companies had made a ton of money. And then the next quarter, the same thing happened. And then Joe Biden came out and said, we recognize this is profiteering on the part of these transportation companies. We won't stand for it. And we're asking them to scale back their pricing. That was two years ago, maybe three years ago. We went through that with the grocers <laughs> maybe a year ago. Did that all come out? Maybe six months ago? Yeah. So I think it's probably going to take a little while longer for those costs to come down. It, it, that's a that's a good way to look at it. I don't I know what the like honestly that's a great question. Like how soon do, how long does it take for PPI reductions to transfer over to CPI reductions? I just think generally speaking we should look at the leading indicators of inflation of which we know PPI to be one. And I think you know I'm sure that the Bank of Canada it considers this when they, when they make their decisions. Um, I also think that like inflation's so scary to the Bank of Canada that they're going to overcorrect. Like their, their intent. Bank of Canada, U.S. Federal Reserve. Just say let's say the Federal Reserve because the Bank of Canada will, will work in lockstep with the rest of the G7 nations. Read the United States of America. So, uh, and how does that trickle down to us? It trickles down to us with increased borrowing costs. So if you're sitting at home right now and you're wondering what the hell you're going to do with your mortgage, 
I think that, I, well, first of all, I would not take a five-year fixed rate. Uh, what would you take then? If, if not a five-year fixed, well, like a, you take a fixed or a variable? So I don't like two, like, two and three year fix are looking pretty good, right? Yeah, now, right? I would. So I, I would say it would be dependent on a few things. Okay. So it's always dependent on time horizon. So, you know, how long are you planning on staying in the, in the property or holding onto the property before selling it? Because if you are switching to a fixed product, especially right now when rates are high and you want to break that mortgage when rates drop you're going to have a problem. Interest rate differential penalties are going to be back in the market very soon. And they are extremely, <laughs> extremely egregious. And um, the banks love them for that reason. So remember, interest rate differential penalty is the difference between the interest rate that you're paying on your mortgage and what the bank can get for a term matching the remaining maturity that your mortgage has. So if you take a three-year fixed rate right now, and in two years, you want to break it, they're going to compare your three-year fixed rate, which is probably five and a half to 6% to whatever the one-year rate is two years from now. And if that one-year rate two years from now is two or 3%, you could get whacked with a massive, massive penalty, uh, you know, two, three, 4% of your loan amount. So I would say number one, time horizon, make sure you're not planning on selling it, you know, or there's not a degree of a high degree of chance that you will be selling it in that term. And the next thing it's really important to look at is what, how much time do you have remaining on your mortgage? So if you have a variable rate mortgage that has say two years remaining on it, then I would probably look more to getting a two-year fixed rate. But if you have a five-year variable and has four years left on it and you want to switch to a two-year, you're going to have to pay a penalty to break the variable rate mortgage that you have right now, right? Like back to mortgage basics, variable rate mortgages still have penalties. They just fluctuate with prime. Your penalty is three months worth of interest. And guess what? Three months worth of interest is a lot right now, right? Prime rates at 695. Yep. Yeah. On the way to 7.2% if we see another rate hike. So uh, the, there's not a really short answer to this question, but I would say some degree of a fixed rate is probably a good idea, especially if you can get a three year at five and a half right now, you know, two year, probably five seventy five. That is two year at five seventy five is 120 basis points off of prime today's prime. And if prime goes up another 25 basis points, just add that to the Delta between the two rates. So people that are at home wondering what they should do with rates right now on their mortgage should kind of consider a few different factors. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that the Bank of Canada and the central banks are going to overcorrect. Um, I think that we're going to see at least one more rate hike. I hate even saying that. And as a result... Um, that might make the rate cuts speedier. Like when we start seeing more dramatic drops in CPI, like uh, that it could mean that, you know, we'll see things um, change a little faster on the other way. Mark, as you mentioned earlier in the show, this multifamily housing sector, like what is that? It seems to be a big news in the U S is that something that's happening here in Canada as well? Or, and like, how does that impact what's going on in the economy? Like, People are, t I don't understand how multifamily housing is, 
Like what's the trickle down effect of that? It so uh rent is very important for the CPI reading. So um within the CPI uh numbers, about 30% of it is rent. So especially in the United States, I don't think Canada's doing as great of a job as this. But the United States had like some 35-year high of bringing units online, building and bringing units online. I think like 2023, 2024 is going to be some banner year for bringing on units. That is going to reduce rental rates. It's already reducing rental rates. You, if you read about it right now, they're talking about the next crisis within this kind of commercial loan crisis is going to be in the multifamily space because rents are dropping and debt servicing costs are increasing and they're not going to be able to cut these, some of these funds that are bought into this space. When they buy in, they use massive amounts of leverage and they, they do sensitivity analysis, but those analysis didn't predict where interest rates are. As a result, interest rates are so high, the debt servicing costs are so high and the rental income that they're getting from these borrowers is diminishing, or uh, from these renters is diminishing. That means that CPI will come off because one third, almost one third of CPI is related to rental. But that's going to happen in the United States. I don't know to what degree we're going to see that happen in Canada because we're just not bringing on as much multifamily residential as the United States is, right? Like we are stymied as much as everybody wants to say, you know, the federal government's doing a great job and we're trying to get more housing online. We're not, right? Like we're, we spoke earlier in the show about uh, employment, unemployment rate, the unemployment rate increasing because more labor is coming online. Part of that's coming from inflation or from immigration. So Immigration is helping us to increase the unemployment rate, which is great for the um, effects of ca- countering the effects of inflation by having more competition for labor and keeping labor costs down. But immigration coming online, these people need somewhere to live. And they're going to be competing to rent and buy properties with you. And as a result, Rental prices, I don't see how we can reduce rental prices unless we bring on more properties to rent. And we, we're in a standstill there because good luck trying to get something approved through the city of Toronto. I can assure you, I mean, like I've, I've been through it on several development sites and it is extremely difficult, right? Like it is one of the massive expenses that developers face is just how inefficient the city of Toronto is at processing development applications. And I am sure that that must extend out to other major cities in Canada. But um, to your question, I guess I went on a rant there, hey? It's okay. I guess, so to your question, uh, rental expense is a very big piece of what a consumer spends their money on, 30%. Almost think of it like the GDS ratio, right? Gross debt service ratio, remember underwriting deals? Yep, yep, yep. Right? So uh, the gross debt service ratio is indicative of the overall CPI basket. 
So within the CPI basket, 30% is allocated towards what people spend on renting their property or shelter. And inflation's gone up because the cost of shelter has increased because the cost of service, the debt for shelter has increased. I read an article recently that was like, maybe we should rethink, maybe we should enter a new era to just to highlight how stupid this is. Maybe we should think about entering a new era where people just automatically spend more like 50% of their gross income on uh, living, on a, a place to live. That's crazy. New normal. That's the new normal guys back at it again. You know, those new normal guys are always going to be there. Hey, they're always going to be there. And you know why? Because they want it that way. No, because it. things change because things go in excess in opposite directions. And as soon as you get to that other direction, there's going to be a guy waiting there ready to push the button for the new normal. I wonder if you look back, if it's the same people pushing the new normal button all the time. No, it's not. Because everybody has their own drum that they're beating. So there's new normal people whenever you hit an excess. That's for sure. That Bob Farrell thing is, is interesting. Did you read it? Uh, yes, I did. I did read it. I, I've never followed the tips before. I, I, I thought these were like new tips, but then like this graphic is everywhere that like these are old tips. Bob Farrell, yeah. Like he was around a long time ago. I think he's like 100 years old. <laughs> is he still alive? Let me just look that up. Oh, no. That's got a different guy. Motivational speaker who founded an ice cream shop. Hey, Bob Farrell obituary again for the ice cream guy. I guess the ice cream guy uh, was more popular. He's alive as of May uh, 9th, 2022. He is a 90-year-old retiree in Florida. Bingo. The other guy's dead. The ice cream guy's dead. So what did we just learn about that, Ooh. Matt? We <laughs> learned two things. Number one, if you sell ice cream instead of investing advice, you're going to be more popular. Google's going to think you're more popular anyways. Uh, and if you and, and number two, if you live your life eating too much ice cream, <laughs> you're gonna die. And if you uh, are an investor, you're gonna live longer than the ice cream guy. But I'm sure both guys ate ice cream. Matt, come on. Okay, so Bob Farrell had ten rules, ten market rules, and this is a good time to highlight them. So there's an economist, David Rosenberg, who I would love to have on the podcast. Maybe when we have more than 4,000 followers on Instagram or 700 subscribers on YouTube, we'll be able to get better guests on the show. Honestly, this is, <laughs> this is organic because if you think about it, if you even like what I say, even just a little bit, and if you like what Matt has to say, even a little bit more, I don't mind. Can you imagine if we had more subscribers, it would give us more pull to get guests on our show like help us help us help you bob farrell's rules though are like are like they, listen number one markets return to the mean i always say this things are like a pendulum right they swing one way they swing the other way and they always settle back in the middle but all of Oh my God, look at number three, Matt. Tell me who says that one too. There are no new eras. Excesses are never permanent. You say that. What do I, how do I say it though? I say it less eloquently. Yes. Uh, I don't know. How do you say it? Well, it usually happens at a time when people are running around. Maybe they have masks on their face or maybe they're getting jabbed in the arm and they're saying things like, 
this is the new normal. Ah, the to new which, normal. To which I say. The new normal is bullshit. The new normal is bullshit, Matt. New eras do not exist. It's all the same era. Human behavior is human behavior. Reversion to the mean. The most successful sports bettors in the entire world focus on reversion to the mean. There is a straight line and things can go out of whack for periods of time, but they always get back to that line. Bet on it. Bob Farrell did. He's still alive. The other guy bet on ice cream. Dead. Um, oh, this is a good one. Okay, so uh, the, what, I want, what I wanted to, to get to, there's a few points on here that help, will help you to make money in this market. Okay? Number one point that I saw on here that like really <laughs> is really helpful when you're thinking about what's happening right now in this market is his, his rule number one and rule number two, okay? Because they are pretty much the same rule. Number one just says that markets return to the mean. Number two tells you how they return to the mean, right? It's not like the pendulum, if the pendulum swings, let's say the pendulum swings to a hyperinflationary environment, right? Really lots of inflation heading into the market. It doesn't swing back precisely and hit the median line right on the button and stay there. It's a pendulum for God's sakes, Matt. What happens to a pendulum? It swings back and forth. So you can expect that we will go into a deflationary period after this, right? It's impossible. It is impossible for us to swing, you know, and hit the mark right on the mean. Okay. Yeah, of course. The way things revert back is by swinging back in the other direction in an excess, uh, in, in, in excessive amount. And those excesses aren't permanent. So these are all kind of like, they, they kind of go in line. So right now what you're experiencing is an excess amount of inflation, and then we will go back and course correct back in the other direction, and then we'll settle in the mean. Okay? This one's interesting. Um, oh, this is the same thing. So number four is pretty much the same thing. Exponentially, rapidly rising or falling markets usually go further than you think, but they do not correct by going sideways. So that's, again, like, they're all, like those first four are really all they're, they're all along the same vein. And number five is like unfortunate, but it's how insiders and, you know, massive funds and people that control the stock market make money. The public always buys the most at the top and the least at the bottom. Isn't that sad? Uh, I mean, so I, I've, studied myself like the wall street cheat sheet and uh i'll show that up on the screen here and it basically talks about the psychology because i mean it is a, a market controlled by individuals and individuals have emotions and they're making decisions and all of this stuff is psychological and if you look at the, the wall street cheat sheet uh here up on the screen you can see uh that all of this stuff happens uh on a psychological basis which brings us to Bill Farrell's rule number six. Six, I think six. That fear and greed 
are much stronger than long-term resolve. Now, number seven on this is the other thing that I would say will help you identify when a market is overbought. And it's so illustrative of what's happening right now in this market. So uh, the markets are the strongest when they are broad and they are the weakest when they are narrow. And if you look right now at the market, the S&P is almost at 4,500. Yeah. I'm in disbelief. I've stopped buying puts on the market. It doesn't make any sense anymore. I've lost so much money buying puts on the market. Um, but but sh- it should be going down. Like, that's all, of the, well, all of the growth in the S&P is being fueled by a handful of companies. Yes. Like Apple is now a $3 trillion company. It went from $2 trillion to $3 trillion. I don't know why. Right, it's just money is pouring into these blue chip companies. The growth in the market is so concentrated in so few companies, and that is indicative of a, of of the end of this cycle. That makes sense. Uh, bear markets have three stages: sharp down, reflexive rebound, and drawn out fundamental downturn. Um, so we saw a sharp down, we saw a rebound, and we're kind of still in that rebound. And then I suppose the next stage will be that drawn out fundamental downturn. And then this is a good one. <laughs> when all experts agree that something is going to happen, something else is going to happen. That's, fun. That's funny. I like that's that funny. one too. And then this final thing is that bull markets are more fun than bear markets. I mean, like that's... That's not even really advice. Everybody knows that, right? Yeah. Ice cream is better than broccoli. That's what the other guy said. I, listen, I think that if you're in this market right now, uh, and you're most of the people, I mean, I'm sure there's guys out there that are making just millions and millions of dollars right now um, off of uh, you know, kind of continually trading these blue chip stocks, knowing that these blue chip stocks were going to have a run. How much more of a run they're going to have, I don't know. Do you see Facebook, by the way? Uh, what about Facebook? I know that they launched their own Twitter competitor through Instagram. I just like, I don't know if you remember, we did a podcast a while ago and I was like, Oh, you said that, yeah. yeah I yeah. would nib, I would buy a little bit of Facebook right now. Well, Facebook's triple what it was then. That's crazy. That's yeah, crazy. Crazy. Uh, better than Bitcoin. Yeah, I can agree on that. And uh, it seems to be doing about a bit better than Twitter. <laughs> I mean, it's not traded anymore, but right. that company's going down. You think so? Well, I mean, uh, I think we talked about it yesterday in person. Uh, like, he owes a billion dollars to Google. What are you going to, like, what do you do to cash out your Tesla stocks to do that? Uh, dude, he's got that in his couch. <laughs> you don't think so? I bet he's got it in his couch. I think he's got a billion dollars somewhere. Yeah, yeah, sure. Oh my God. Can you imagine if he uses the money from fighting Zuckerberg to pay the Google bill? <laughs> Dude, that would be genius. He's smart. That's actually genius. Yeah, if you live streamed it on Facebook and and, Twi- and Twitter together, that would that's a that's something I would pay for. Oh, that'd be kind of fun. Or, and what about uh, Threads? That's the new one. Yeah, that's so that's their new Instagram yeah. uh, Instagram's competitor to uh, Twitter. Which this is what I'm talking like. 
they had they must have had that on the back burner waiting for for him to make a trip somewhere and a billion dollar bill owed to google seems like a trip up uh the the fact that this threads launches on like the week after like that's a little you know that's the one-two punch coming from zuckerberg you think zuckerberg has something to do with the google bill no, I, I think that he timed it. I think that he released threads to compete with Twitter when Twitter was throttling their views. I, I don't honestly, I have no reason for saying this. I don't like Mark Zuckerberg. I don't know why. And then now I'm probably going to get blocked on Instagram or something. But like, I much prefer Elon Musk personality wise, I guess. So who are you taking in that fight? Are you taking Elon or are you taking Zuck? Because I'm taking Zuck. He trains. But All then right. again, like I'll the, take Elon Musk. Okay, you take him to Elon. Well, Marcus, it's been a great chat with you. I appreciate you coming into the studio to get this done with me. And uh let's dive into it again next week. Okay. Thanks, buddy. Good to see you.